There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. I have to shout out my friend who's a good listener to the show, Ian O'Connell. He's got a pizza place in rural Jersey. Ian O'Connell. Ian O'Connell. He, he is a good hockey player, too. But I, I saw you were making pizza the other day, and it looked delicious. Well, you're, you're, how did you become a good cook? So way back when I first got divorced, like 26, 27 years ago, my sons were- Which, which divorce? The first one. Gotcha. Uh, so my sons were what, four and six years old, and they would go over. I'd have them every the weekend, and when I did the week, all that, you know. I didn't know how to cook at all. Like they, one day we'd have hamburger helper, they'd be tuna noodle, then we'd go to Boston Market. Shout out to Boston Market for the year on their sponsor. Um, and in fact, we, we wanted, had the tradition in my family was it was turkey dinner for Christmas and for Thanksgiving. So we wanted to, so we would get the jarred gravy and the stovetop stuffing. So we, we would get by and I'd get a frozen turkey. I don't think I've heard this one. Really? I don't think so. Wow. And I would put the frozen turkey right, right into the oven. Yeah, you're a live turkey. But I put the frozen turkey right in the oven. Oh. So, but the turkey would come out fine. But then I would reach inside and the giblets were inside. And I didn't know what the giblets were. And I'm like, what, why are we getting all this garbage in our turkey? I thought it was like somebody's putting garbage in our turkey. So we got to be friends with a couple. Uh, I played men's hockey league with uh, Pete and Joan Newsom. We lost Pete recently. Yeah, great guy. Sorry. And uh, he came over for, again, my sons were there. Joan was in the kitchen with me. And I uh, got the turkey. It must have been like the third or fourth time we made the turkey. So again, now we, we're getting this down pretty good. And uh, so I take the turkey out of the oven. I reach inside, and the tur- garbage is in there again. I said, well, "What? Why are we getting the turkey with the garbage in the oven?" And she's looking at me like, are you "Joking? Are you serious?" I go, "No, look at this garbage." <laughs> so, so she told me what I was. She's dying laughing. She told us So John, she took you to school a little bit on yeah, how to cook the turkey. Yeah. So you did that out of necessity when you were yeah. So, yeah, I didn't want to be out all out of boys. I want to be like if we're home, we're cooking right. our dinner. And I should try to be good with my sons, like because we'd sit around and watch the Emerald and all the cooking shows. Now my both my sons are really good cooks as well. And then um, so I, I gotten better and better over time. And now I've gotten more healthy. During the pandemic, it's fantastic for me. I started doing this cooking show on Sunday. Yep. I would uh, so we started off. I was working out at home. I had the propane tanks open my barbecue. So I was pretending that I was working out with the propane sure. tanks. And uh, people think it was funny. So yep. you know, I I printed out pictures of Ron Gresher and you know Wilson, the soccer ball from sure uh, yeah. So, uh, from uh, Castaway. So, uh, so I, I take the picture of Ron Gresher onto the propane tank, and the other one, then Wilson was on the other propane tank. So now we're pretending Ron's working out with me. I've got the balance board out there. I'm doing stupid things. I had Ron falling off the balance board on his tank, and then Wilson gets So, I, and every Sunday it would go on. So now I would add new people to it. I had Ron Dugay, a picture of him, Gerald Teagues, and all the girls he dated, Christy Franklin. Then I had 
very back up something. Is that it's always something new? Uh, Donald Trump got up there with the mask on because he got COVID during the. So this came all came out of boredom during COVID. Yes, absolutely. So it became this thing, and then it rained one day. So I took all the pictures and I taped them up on my uh, cabinets in my kitchen, and I cooked a meal. And it was just again told smart. I had Mike Milbury in the garbage can, that kind of right. stuff. Uh, there you go. Yeah, it was so it got me pretty good. Uh, and then. As time went on, people would start critiquing the meal I'd make. I'd, oh, really? I'd do a video of what the meal was, the recipe and everything. And then I'd take pictures. Everybody's got an opinion. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, so it became all this pressure that I had to I had to plate it properly. So I had to get the rag out. Clean oh, wow. Because uh, yeah. I, I, I watched, I see your show, and I had your strip by show. It's perfect for you because it's short attention span cooking. <laughs> it's, what is it, about 45 seconds yeah, of, totally. on a cooking show? Yeah. But, I, but you cook up, you, you do, and most of the food you eat is raw and natural, which is awesome. Yeah. That's what I try to do. I'll take recipes and I, clean, I try to make them more clean, like not use as much sugar and salts, like use capers and that yep. kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's actually out of necessity. It's become pretty good. Uh, it looks very good. And I, back to my friend Ian. So he makes a great margarita pizza, but yeah. the sugar in that, you know, yours is obviously why pizza you made the other day. If people can find that on Instagram, look yeah. great. What 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 was it? Yeah. So I got actually Costco had this new pizza flour. I always used to use bread flour when I made. So there's I put a little bit of sugar, excuse me, a little bit of honey in there and sit on sugar. Okay. okay. They even have to do that, but that's the kind of stuff I'll do. We'll use honey. There's also that monk fruit sweetener that yep. you can use. And then when I made the sauce, it's all so again, there's no sugar or salts. So to sweeten up the tomatoes, peppers, garlic, you just put them in the air fryer for a while, they get sweeter. There you go. And then I put uh, capers in instead of salt. And so it's all capers are technically a fruit, from what I, my research says. So all the rest is all vegetables. So, um, yeah, it's not the pizza's not for you. They use no, it looked great, it looked uh, yeah. delicious. You're, you're, you're always gone with these healthy, delicious looking meals. Uh, we're now a cooking show, Nate Brown in Minnesota. We commented on that earlier. Oh, there cool. you go. But, um, yeah, you it's great that you actually it plays into your whole health routine. Well, uh, I've got a little concern here. Oh, go you're being so nice to me. Is there something wrong, like something coming up or something? Like that? We have a long way to go today, so we'll keep going. No, nah, listen, you, you're uh, it's very, I, I don't know how to cook. I make guacamole, that's it. And yeah. I, yeah, Christine does most well, all the cooking, basically, right. but um. Yeah, I can make a smoothie. Yeah, uh, you know what's especially if your wife's cooking home, she she enjoys cooking, then you don't have to do it. I don't know that she does, but she just kind of I don't know. She just does it. But how did like how do you deal with it? Because you, you have sometimes have a very short attention span. I'm not saying anything out of school here. How do you deal with all that prep and the cleaning and the cooking? Well, that's so I have the saying, uh, clean as you cook. So the idea is if you're cleaning as you're cooking, then at the end when it's all done, there's it's it's all done. Right. Because yeah. there's a lot of time when you're cooking where you've got some dead time, you're waiting for something to cook. So when I clean up the mess should be. Yeah, there you go. I'll put things away that I, I need again. So I better go back and get it again. Right. I don't do it on the Sunday cooking show. So you're early, early in the day, but being in the cooking show or being in the kitchen cooking with a glass of wire or something, I get the country music going. It's it's a blast. It's like a party. <laughs> it's all by myself. Yeah. You, you should call it the cooking minute though. Like one minute cooking with That's top. Right. Yes. It's very, very short. Yeah. But people who uh, follow you on social media, I'm sure most of our listeners do, will enjoy that once you don't, should check it out. Because top whips up some yeah, batches. And it's, it's turned out to be pretty, it's a challenge, but it, you're right. I, I have to prep for it. I have to put it inside like a couple of hours because, you know, the total cooking time, prep and everything. But, but it is, I get all fired up to it. I've got a great store. We're promoting everybody else's store. What, Costco? Where Tom's the mayor of Costco, Greenwich, yes. Connecticut, by the way. There's the, I talk about Norris the Chicken Man. He's this fantastic person. Shout out, Norris. Yeah. Norris the Chicken Man at Costco. He's a fantastic guy. There's a woman that works with him there. He works in the, there's a woman there, really sweetheart person. Huge survivor fan. So we were talking yesterday. I showed her a picture where I was crawling through the sand. Wait, you you were on Survivor? Yeah, I, I don't like to talk about it too much. You know, like personal stuff. Wow. I always, I mean, it's great accomplishment that you got to get on there. And I kind of always tease you on it. But it was, it was a really solid guest spot you did for five <laughs> episodes. It was awesome. Well, but that's the kind of guy I am, right? I don't want to take all the time. These other people really hadn't had the time of the, you know, shine. Like yeah. I, I've been in the, I've started in the National Humble, right? Yeah. Humble. So, so like, 
back then when I first turned pro, uh, we had no access. There's no, we couldn't get on videos. You didn't listen. So when you went, went to the pro locker room the first time, that's the first time you're a pro locker room. There's always these thoughts going to your head. Like, what's it like in there? Like, and these guys are wearing like gold underwear or something. Seriously, those type of shit. So the first turn pro, and what, I know it was the weirdest thing, but one of the things you look forward to is not having to wear a helmet in practice. Now, I don't right. know why that became such a big deal. But especially with that dog, five head to the forehead. People, right. people, it's, yeah, it's a new joke. Congratulations. <laughs> no, ever heard that one before. So, so first practice, we're out there 10 minutes, we're doing breakouts. So the forward would have to shoot the puck in the corner, as you know, and then we go back and get a breakout. So Lance Nethery, who was a really intelligent guy, came up and played with the Rangers a little bit, but uh, he went to shoot it in, drilled it right off my forehead. No, no. Yeah, really? 10 minutes in practice. How many zips? Uh, I get a few, I think seven or eight. It's wow. just you're right down the center of the forehead there too. First practice, out there for 10 minutes. Like, Is that the last time you wore a... Uh... No, no. I mean, we stick stick. We had the... I, so I, I had, this is a story, great story. So I, I run this hockey league in the city, as you know, New York City Roller Hockey League, shout it out. But um, the first, there was this kid, this great family um, from the city, big Ranger fan, so Drake DeBono. So he was like 18, this kid, first game. He was very excited. He just wanted to play in this league, right? His family's there, his mom, his dad, his cousins, his grandmother. He's out in warm-ups, and one kid, this kid Jonathan, wings one off the crossbar, right? Split him open. All, the whole family, the grandma's upset. They're all running to the hospital. It was like, and I said, if you had listened, if you had, you know, a time machine went to the future and heard this very episode of, of Full Change with Tom Labo, you would know to put your helmet on during warm-ups. I helped my old career in the NHL. There were helmet warm-ups. Why? That's cool. We, you know what we did. We, as you have learned, we as professional athletes are like, and I have to say this clearly because I was, and I'm not trying to criticize anybody else, but really, yes, we do a lot so of. You, you guys are incredible at, at one specific skill set that right. takes you to the top of the, the universe in what you do as hockey players, which is amazing. That's an accomplishment. But yeah, you're all idiots. Oh, yeah. And I think our fans who list, have listened to these 50 episodes or so are starting to realize that. that these yeah. are regular dudes yeah. who are flawed. Well, and I think what makes it worse is, and we discussed this, where we, from a very young age, when you're a good athlete, you're being treated totally different, especially in a country like Canada. So now you're allowed to get away with things differently. Even our parents, my parents are fantastic to me, but there's a lot of stuff I got away with. I know we'd have games, junior games at night, and then I'd sleep, my parents let me sleep, and I could have gotten yeah. went to school. Um, so, you know, we have that, we're treated a certain way. We're told how great we are uh, all through life. And then maybe you retire at uh, 32, 33, 35 years old. And now all of a sudden you've got to start, you wake up and one day, now you're more like a real person. Right. And, so, and, and we didn't know that we weren't leading a normal life. We thought the life we were leading was that's the way. Really? You had no yeah. inkling that, that this is not normal? I don't think I fully understood until I look back later on in life, how wrapped up, how egotistical really we had to be. Uh, for our careers. Well, everyone's telling you you're great from 14 to, you know, to 35. Yeah. And you're so wrapped up, and especially then, well, it's the same way now, but the team is everything to you. I mean, that that's how you're raised yep. teens. So for lunch, after practice, you know, you could have wife and kids at home. That's that that's that hockey ethic that is born out of that Canadian yeah. farm boy ethic. Yeah. You know, like work hard, save the, you know, work for the farm, for the collective. Yeah. It's almost communist in a way, but it's, it makes sense. Team is everything. And I'm in one way very proud of it, but and that's how I, big part of my career was like that. Like it's sure. you know, people would come to the team and say, Tommy, everybody says, you're supposed I'm supposed to go with you to go find out where to go for a beer after practice. You know, so, uh, so you're the Pied Piper of oh, beer yeah. too. You know, and uh, we had Bruce McNall on a show recently. And he was joking because he would give me a watt cash, like $2,000 on the road. Take the guys probably clearly unaccounted for in the, oh, in yeah, the books. Obviously face of people who heard that episode know that that's probably yeah, happened. Yeah. And he was, you know, that was, and that's part of what he, I look back at it. Now. I don't regret it really because. Yeah, but it even helped me in the rest of my life. Like even, you know, in the agent business. 22 years. I, I built a reputation where that's part of it because I had no clients, no experience before going out there trying to get clients. So 
what really got me clients was my reputation yeah. who I was, you know, that not the most, and again, the same way as I wasn't the smartest guy in the room when I was an agent, I wasn't still, I, still not. I just don't, I don't quit. No, and that's, and that people, especially everybody loves a team guy because there's, you don't rock any boats. You show up, you do your job, you do your work. And I guess your clients found that bad too. Yeah. Until they had to fire you like uh, Brian Boucher famously did. It just things were going well for him and want to make a change. Yeah. Damon Lightcow had a friend of his want to get the agent business. Said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to uh, this buddy of mine. Uh, Barbara things that just, you know, he got through. Yeah, he had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And you guys are good friends now, as yeah. you said. Totally. Yeah. I finally broke the ice there a couple of years ago. Sid stopped smart ass about we can fire me. Because we were, we were good friends yeah. and we remained good friends. Well, episode 21 of Full Change. Yeah. Uh, he was a great episode yeah. with us. He's a funny man, I'll tell you. He does those invitations. Very much so. We'll, we'll have to have him on again for, for more of those. Yeah. But the, yeah, so that, that, that attitude, that work ethic, that, that dependability that carried through for you still does today. You know, yeah. you're still, I, Tom will still text me and he's like, I'll, I'll get the to-do list. I mean, it's cut and pasted, but it's still the same to-do list. Like, let's get on this. Let's do this. Let's go. It is funny, right? Where if I'm busy, running around, I say, okay, Tom's got it. And then I've got like July and August now are quiet times. Uh, I've learned, you know, get stuff done. And then we're at both of us go the same way. We're so proud of this full change podcast. Um, oh Yeah. Probably even in a, in a different way that I'd end up with you, but a different way that I'd anticipate. Like some of the shows we've had with Richie Pilon and Malarja. Right. No, it's, it's been a great journey. And this and it is hot in July. And speaking of hot, this next episode coming up with, with Tim Hunter is is a hot one. Yes. That's good. So Tim and I played against each other a lot. And uh, we I don't think we'd ever spoken other than a few F, F-bombs. Yeah. Or so. What a tough, tough guy, yeah. man. And you know what? Really, like an intelligent, tough guy. Oh, yeah. Like he really knew. He understood I'm a fourth line guy. Like, and even helping other kids coming up saying, listen, you're a fourth line guy right now. This is how we do it. Got a job to do. This is, what we, this is how we do it. So yeah, people enjoy this one. This is great. Tim Hunter. Five one noses, but his puts mine to shame. Let's hey, he's got a legendary look. He looks, like I said, I think I said in the, in the episode, he looks like a central casting hockey player. Yeah. Sixties. Yeah. That's the guy you, you would see, you know? So enjoy this episode. All right, Tom, today, if you were casting a rugged, rough hockey player from, for a movie in 1968, this is the guy you would Yes, he is. He's got the looks and everything. He's got the most iconic nose in the history of the National Hockey League. Kimmy Hunter. Yes, sir. How you doing there, brother? Good to see you. Yeah, good. Thanks I don't think we ever really got to talk to each other much, except on the ice there where I was running away from you all the time, so. Yeah, no, I, would, I don't think we've ever met Tom. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, yeah, just brushing by each other on the ice. You're probably yeah. on the ice, uh. Much more than I was, I'll tell you. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll never forget we had one. Remember when Shade Shirley came up with you guys? Oh yeah, John. Oh, thought God, he was a madman. We had a brawl going on, and I had Colin Patterson, and uh, I had him down on the ice, and he, him and I weren't fighting. I was just holding him. So Shade Shirley come from behind and starts grabbing me. He says, "You're mine, you're mine." And I kept hey, Colin Patterson's dying, laughing down below. I'm holding body, calling him, saying, "No, I've got my man. I've got my man." <laughs> Patterson was dying laughing. He was just no buddy. I got a great story about Shane Churla. We're playing. He just come up and um, he's running around a little bit. We're playing Vancouver and Tiger Williams is in Vancouver. And oh yeah, Tiger Williams says to me, he says, hey, Hunts, you tell that kid to settle down. I said, you know, Tiger, you better tell him. I said, you're going to have your hands full. Oh, I'll kick the shit out of that kid. So he fights Shane Churla. Churla just beats the shit out of him. Oh. And I skated by the penalty box and I said, Tiger, I tried to tell you, pal. That was the same with Kenny Bobgarner when he came up. We he was such he, uh, he knew what he was doing. Like he was trying to be as crazy as possible. He would go into the locker room. So he's a rookie in the National Hockey League, and he'd start running the radio or the stereo in the room, and he'd turn it to all like this hard, this heavy metal music. 
and we all had to leave the room because we didn't we couldn't stand the music, but we weren't going to stand any tune because he was just nutcase. Psycho, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. duty. Yeah, definitely. So where'd you grow up? Where's home? So I'm I'm from born and raised in Calgary. And oh, okay. I grew up in Calgary, played all my minor hockey here, and then left as a 16-year-old to go to Fort St. John, B.C., home of Reg Kerr, wow. uh, and played uh, Junior B there. And then I went on to Kamloops and played Tier 2 in the BCHL, then two years in Seattle. And yeah, so it was uh, fun growing up in Calgary in those days. They had the great Calgary Centennial teams and had Mike Rogers, Dan oh, that's Kerr, right. uh Brian Carlin, uh, some really good teams. We had the 75 Memorial Cup here in Calgary, so I was just a a punk going down and watch that. Right, right. So just so everybody knows, this is Tim Hunter, longtime Calgary Flame, a Vancouver Canuck, San Jose Shark, right? Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning for one day? One day in Quebec, Nordique. Wow. And uh, add in 15 years of coaching in the NHL. Oh, that's right. I, I keep forgetting that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, Did you enjoy that? Well, I, I coached more games in the NHL than I played. I played it. I coached over a thousand games in the NHL as assistant coach. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so you got drafted by the Atlanta Flames, right? Yeah. That uh, first year they had the underage in 1979. It was a, what a draft. Um, you know, it was a little bit, as a player, you look back and you almost got shafted because if I had been, if I waited a year and got drafted in the, in the as a 19 year old, I would have been a first round pick. Oh, okay. That was as an 18 year old, I was a, I was a third round pick. And, you know, obviously no, only 21 teams then. So 54th overall in the third round, um, went to Atlanta as training camp as a 18 year old turning 19, signed a contract and then, you know, played my last year junior in Seattle. And then I had, I had a knee injury. So I went down to Atlanta and I was at David Poyle's house and just recovering from my knee injury. And he says, um, I'm going to pick you up and come over to my house and have breakfast and, uh, I want to share something with you. So I get to his house and he says, I got some great news for you. He said, we're announcing today we're moving the team from Atlanta to Calgary. You're well, wow. that was pretty cool. Cause I was like, you know, you never, you get drafted. You're just thrilled to be drafted. And right. then, and I'm going Atlanta, man, that could be any further from Calgary. Yeah. yeah. You know, for my parents and, you know, um, and then to have the team move to Calgary, it was, that was you know, just a childhood dream, obviously, to play in the NHL, let alone play in my own hometown for 11 years. Right. And when you first got there, the Calgary, uh, the, the Corral is with the Ricky played at, correct? Yeah. And that was, it was perfect for, you know, the first couple of years, Calgary had a real big team, you know, all yeah. those guys, Ken Houston, Eric Vale, Willie yeah. Blett, Phil Russell, yeah. you know, big bruising team, Brad Marsh, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the boards are about 10 feet high. I mean, yeah, the board and, the, and the, the benches were like archaic because they had yeah. two levels. So you had a front and a back, you know, that. and if you weren't playing, you're in the back. And like, usually when you're not playing, you're trying to get the coach's uh, eye. And it's pretty hard when he's got his back to you the whole time. I know. I'm, I'm like, I'm over here, coach. Yeah. And I used to get like Blanny and, uh, and uh, some of the older guys, Risebrow, they'd say, hey, uh, Badger, uh, Hunts is in the back there. You may want to put him out. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. How many years did you play in that building? Uh, I think two. Two years in that building. And then and parts, well, par I played just two, but there were they were in there almost three years before they got the Saddle Dome built. And then you look now, and the Saddle Dome is, is, is a relic. It's They're trying to get a new one, right? Yeah, they're close. Uh, they had an announcement during the 
past month or so that the Alberta government, the city government, and the team are going to partner and build a $1.2 billion entertainment district right right near the Saddledome, actually. So, wow, that's good. It's, uh, that's, yeah, I know they've tried. Calgary. Yeah, they've tried for a long time, right? Get that done. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's politics and yeah. different things that get in the way. And, you know, we had a change of mayorship, and then also the Alberta government changed, and the new gal that's in, right before the election, she made this commitment that if she gets reelected, she's going to commit to four or $500 million to the project. And then she got, re- she got elected. So that was a sigh of relief for all the hockey fans. Right. So, yeah, definitely. Well, especially, I guess, Edmonton gets their big building too, right? They've got to do. Uh, well, exactly. And, and, you know, I do some work for the flames in the, in the, during the season, some, you know, some corporate stuff. And you talk to the, the, CEO John Bean and he's like we we talked to 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 Edmonton and they're like hey you guys got to get a building because we're losing out on a lot of concerts because they won't come to Alberta just to play in Edmonton oh. they you know because they go to the West Coast they go to Seattle they go to Vancouver and they're like Edmonton you know we're not going to Winnipeg you know so okay. um you know if Calgary had a bigger building a nicer building they'd get more of those high-end concerts and you know, we just had Luke Combs go to Vancouver and then to Edmonton. He never came here. So oh. just things like that. So, think, uh, that's cool. and then, you know, in the hockey world, you know how it is the today's player. They like the new environments of a, yeah. a friendly dressing room, a big lounge, your kitchen and, and the flames locker room doesn't have any. Yeah. You ride the elevator up to the, uh, our lounge where our alumni lounge is and you're riding with the guy carrying the nachos and the bottles of vodka. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you were, and I mean this very seriously, you were a very good hockey player, but you're probably known more for the fisticuffs, correct? Yeah. Well, my, in the early going, I, you know, struggled skating and everything and just, and thank God the flames had so much patience in me to allow me to develop. And that was my goal to, to not just be a fighter, to be able to take regular minutes and, and play that fourth line role and, and take pride in, you know, I had, you get lots of guys that come down and they're demoted to the fourth line and they're, they're pissing and moaning. They're like, you know, you know, I'm on the fourth line with Tim Hunter. And I, and I just say to him, listen, the, the less time you spend here, the better. And the only time you're going to spend less time is, is by performing. So get on the project because I'm not here to listen to your whine and moaning. We got to get things done in the fourth line. We got a job to do. When we go out, we got to get the job done, get scoring chances. Don't get scored against. So you want to get back where you belong? Don't piss and moan. And, and it was, and it worked, you know, so, you know that, that's, unbelie- that's incredible that you would say that because that's what a coach wants, right? He wants that fourth line guy to be happy to be there, but also pushing to get up to a higher level, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I tell a lot of, you know, I've coached a lot of young kids right from in the NHL, you get all these prospects coming in and they're 18, 19 and, and they start out lower and they all expect to be higher because they're all great players in their junior teams. And the first thing I tell them is, is you have to find a way to help the team win. Not, you you don't, you can't think you're going to score goals like you did in junior. That'll come. But every shift you take, you got to help, try to help the team win. And how's that going to be? That's by playing smart defensively, managing the puck properly, and playing in the system the coach wants and using your physical attributes. Here's a, here's a kid that's, um, a great example is Brett Howden. So Brett Howden plays in Vegas. He gets drafted by Tampa, so-so. Then he gets traded to New York, 
plays a little bit in the arc and not really, you know, he's doing okay, but not really figured it out. So Brad, Kelly McCrimmon, who coached against him in junior, he takes him to Vegas and says, listen, Brett, all you got to do is help us win. Win face-offs, manage the puck, be physical, and when you get your scoring chances, bear down. You got skill, you got talent, it'll happen. And and I had that very conversation with him when he got traded to Vegas. I said, I was at the Moose Jaw Warrior Golf Tournament. I said, howdy. I said, just go there and do all the things that are simple that not a lot of guys are willing to do. Yeah, Lock shots, play physical, have a good stick, and, and know how to play. He knows how to play in his own end. That's, I was one of my biggest attributes as a coach is how to coach defense and teach defense, yeah. uh, defensive hockey. So, you know, that's, that's it. And, and starts off in the fourth line and look where he's playing now. And then you talk about fourth lines. You look at Vegas's fourth line, probably one of the best fourth lines in hockey. You know, you, and you need depth. You need, uh, everyone can go out and contribute and play against the other team's top line. If you're afraid to put your third and fourth line out against the other team's top line, you're in trouble. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. two lines. Yeah. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So when you're a kid growing up, I mean, at what point do you start getting the fighting going? You know, um, I, when I played in Fort St. John, you know, I'm 16 playing in a, in a junior B league and it's got lots of 20-year-old men, jobs, some of the kids. And, and, you know, it's up in northern BC, northern Alberta, and it's tough. You know, there's some tough dudes and I'd never really fought before. My brother, Tom was five years older than me and he played and he played in the same situation when he played in Calgary, he played in Vulcan for the Calgary Centennials. He played in the senior men's league, ex NHL guys playing in high river and Okotoks and these t- small towns. And you, you know, you get pushed around and you got to stick up for yourself. And, and I was a big kid. I was six, two, I was 15 years old. So, um, I played a game one time in, in Grand Prairie and I fought a guy and I was awful. 
And my brother was happened to be there and he goes, what are you doing? So he gives me a couple pointers in the parking lot after the game. He goes, listen, you got to stay athletic. You got to stay loose and you don't just grab on and, you know, just, just ride it out and then, you know, get your shots in. So gradually I, I started to learn and then, um, 17 year old, I played in Kamloops, got better and better and started training really hard and taking boxing lessons and, and you know, we, the one summer I boxed with Willie DeWitt in Calgary, uh, Canadian heavyweight champ. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and really learned how to basically throw punches with both hands. Right. You know, not See, that when I remember you, you know, I remember you, you were a smart fighter too. Like it's interesting. Like your brother had to show you that stuff. Cause that's, I thought what you became as a fighter too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, my goal was not to get the shit kicked out of me and not be laying on the ice and some guy skating away. And you're never going to find a video where that happens. I mean, I got my, my, uh, share of, uh, you know, uh, beatings, but not to where I was cut up, bloody laying on the ice and uh, searching for the fish under there. So, you know, um, but, um, and so, so how not to lose a fight? Number one, you know, you, you all these guys, I, I coached some guys, I'm going, son, you're going to get knocked out. It's like, and no, no, I, you know, and then next thing, you know, he gets knocked out. I'm going, okay, now you're going to listen, you know, and, and, I never really taught many guys how to fight. I never even talked about it to my junior kids. I just, if they wanted to do it, you have at it. You're going to learn yeah. and you're going to learn the hard way. And that's the way I learned. You figure it out. No one ever really, other than my brother, the one time telling me, I just figured it out. I watched lots of video and I was prepared. Yeah. And when I, knew, yes, I had, when I played, I had unbelievable grip strength. Hold on for dear life. And wait the guy out and get your shots in by being able to throw a left or a right. And, you know, I may not have beaten up many guys where they're lying in the ice and a pool of blood and knocked out, but I won more than I lost. Now, oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. Tim, did you, we, we speak to a lot of heavyweights on the show, and, and a lot of those guys hate fighting. How, what was your take on it? Yeah, I get asked that question quite a bit. I, I never hated fighting at all. I knew it was part of the deal, and I thought, you know, if I can play in the NHL and play my way and slowly get better and, and really become a player and still be able to fight, you know, there were some guys that were great at Rick Talk and Randall Carr. They were really good players and they were very tough. You know, Brandon Shanahan, that wasn't the player those guys were. But, you know, I had Gino Ogic in Vancouver and he became a really good player, but he was really tough. And, you know, even guys like Dave Semenko. So, um, but, Personally, I, I was never afraid of anyone, um, or I was never unprepared. I knew, you know, some guys might have caught you off by surprise a little bit, but if you protect yourself, and you know, I used to put a little Vaseline on the eyebrows, a little on the cheek, a little on the big bumper here, the big bumper. <laughs> guys would come in the dresser, especially in the lo- in the bathroom there before the game. Guys are wet their hair down. I'm putting Vaseline, and they go. Hunts, what's that for? I go, it's called instant courage. Maybe you should put some on. I shouldn't, you know, you know, when you're, you get in a fight, you, it's not going to hurt you because the punches are going to glance off. What do you think foxers do it for? Yeah. Still. So, well, you, you and your old teammate, Nikki Fatilo did that too, right? Well, you know, that's a great, you know, Nick is one of my favorite stories. Yes. Yep. And, um, so I, I first time in Madison square gardens, I was, 
I don't know, 23 or something in 82, three or somewhere in that range. I don't remember exactly when, but so I fought Don Maloney in the third period and I beat Don up pretty good. Sure. Yep. And I'm like, why does this guy want to fight me? And I don't know what I did. So I'm going, okay, this Fatio guy is coming over and he's going to kill me. You know, I'm just like, you know, I think Herb Brooks was coaching the Rangers yep. at the time. We had Bob Johnson. Yep. So I'm kind of going, where is this guy? He's not coming. I'm coming. I get a couple of shifts. Then I don't play for a long time. I think we scored late and up by two or three and under two minutes left. And Bob Johnson throws me out for the face off. And I'm going, oh, Jesus. He's coming over the boards. I'm going to die. I'm not going to get out of Madison Square Garden alive. My first time here. And like the whole day, actually, the whole game was kind of a, it was almost like a, you know, all the guys told me, like, you play in MSG. It's, oh, it's an amazing place. It's, but the fans are crazy. Hunts, during warm-up, when you skate around, don't look at anybody because they'll spit <laughs> on you or beer on you and all this stuff. And I'm like, so I'm skating around. So I'm going to get off story, but I'm going to skate around and warm-up. Cool. And this guy's leaning over the boards down our end there. And he's, uh, Timmy, Timmy. I'm like, I don't know anyone here. I'm not, but the guys told me not to look. So I go by go by this one time I slow down I look up he goes we're gonna fucking kill you (laughs) (laughs) holy jumping and I was waiting for the beer and I quickly skedaddled and oh boy this is a gong show so anyways back to Nick he comes over we face off and Nick is this massive imposing guy no helmet and I'm right wing he's left wing and he faces off we face off together and before the pucks drop he spears me right inside my thigh, nice and high upwards, nice and tender right away. I'm thinking, okay, just go down. You're hurt. Speared you probably a penalty. You get out of here alive. No. So I'm young and dumb. I get up and I, the Nick gives me the, this one come to hither, drops the gloves. And I'm, I'm thinking I got to get this over with. So I'm dumb and, you know, we we're moving around and I just go, I go in to get a hold of him and he just grabs me. And he was pulling me and he's punching at the same time. And I just ducked my head. Like when you're a fighter, yeah. you keep it, you don't keep it big. You keep it tilted. So, you know, you're going to hit you up here. He hit me on top of the helmet. I don't think Bearcat has found it yet. The helmet just blew off my head. <laughs> and and uh, there wasn't much of a fight. And I went, oh, thank oh. God. I'm going to get out of here. So this will tie into another story that I get a lot, asked a lot. Who's the toughest guy I ever fought? I was going to ask you. Yep. So at the the time, I didn't really realize that Nick was, but I thought, oh boy, that was a punch. And I'm sure glad it didn't hit me in the face. Yeah. So back to when he joined us three years or four years later, 86 or somewhere, um, we're in Vancouver and I'm playing a line, on a line with him and Joel Otto. And they've got a big guy there, Craig Cox, very tough oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. I remember Cox, he's this California surfer dude and we go down the corner and, and he's looking at me, he goes, Hey, Hans, you want to go? <laughs> I'm like, sure, dude. <laughs> so we drop the gloves and getting standing there. And this guy comes from my shoulder here and pulls me, he goes, Hans, I'll take yours. So Nick's come up and he hasn't fought yet for the flames. And yeah, we brought him in to help play against Edmonton. Got all those tough guys up there, McSorley, Jackson, Semenko. McClellan and all these guys. So Nick wants to make sure he makes a statement. So he's going to fight Cox. So I step aside 
So I'm standing and I'm looking at Coxie and Nick, and Nick is like this and go, bam. He hit Cox in the left orbital bone and crushed his orbital bone. Oh. The whole side of his face caved in. And I'm standing there, I'm going, that's the toughest guy I ever fought because that could have been my face when he hit me in Madison Square Gardens if I didn't duck. Oh. And because Nick, you know, he knew how to disguise a punch. Like Coxie had no idea. He just hit him and Coxie kind of collapsed. And he's like, I thought he was going to go down. He didn't go down. And he's and he comes back, he goes, Whoa, dude. Uh, <laughs> he said that? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm funny. Come that's on. Funny. And they fought, and it was a good fight. And, uh, you know, but that's like, at that moment, I went, holy Mac, next to you. Could yeah. any punch? And I'm sure glad he didn't hit me in the face. That's why. So he was great. I love Nick. I love playing with him. He was, he's uh, the fun, fun teammate, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if anybody wants to see good fights, you should go watch a, a old tapes of a Calgary uh, Edmonton. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You guys. Like, we had rivalries against the Flyers, rivalries against the Islanders. And they would get nasty a little bit sometimes. But you guys, I mean, it was all overall. The Battle of Alberta. Yes, it was nasty. You know, we hated each other. And, yeah. you know, they kind of, it, it, it was one of those things that all day long game day, you went to the rank, you stopped and got gas, you got a coffee or somewhere. Everyone you saw, was like, oh, you got and there's going to be a bloodbath and all this all day long. And you're going, oh, mackerel. Yeah. You know, you get get to the games and everyone said, oh, it must have been fun. And and you talk like that. We do lots of stuff for the Oilers alumni guys, Glenn Anderson, Mark Messi, all these guys. And see them all the time. And Craig Simpson. And they're like, it wasn't fun at all. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, we talk, we share stories. Yeah. The bus ride up to Edmonton was complete silence because in those days we just bus up and come back after the game. Uh, and uh, it was just complete silence. And they said the same thing. We were like, we know there's going to be something going on and somebody's going to get into it. And then everyone's going to be into it. And there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And you had to be ready to be right. played physical against and play physical, right? And so we laugh when we share the stories. Like Dave Semenko and I, yeah. um, you know, everyone thinks it was just this, this, all these, I only fought him four times. Oh, you know? Dave, Dave fought maybe 60 times in the NHL and I fought 200, over 200, including playoffs. Everyone wanted to fight me. Nobody wanted to fight Dave's ankle. Wow. He was so big. Tom didn't want you to know, fight you. Oh God. So I had one game, when I was at the Rangers one game, uh, it was like random Tuesday night. So there's no rivalry between us and Edmonton. And I hit Gretz in the corner. And you know, back then the, the whole building goes dead quiet once the, once the whistle blows. So Sater stands up at the bench. He says, Laidlaw, you're going home in a body bag. And then he tap, oh yeah, and he taps Semenko on the shoulder, and I'm thinking, there's nowhere to go, right? He, he, he can't run away, he, but I'm not the guy. Like he's coming over, it's like he's got, you know, stuff like hair all over the place, twigs sticking out of his hair, it's like he's been out of the woods, and he, you could tell he kind of had this disgusted look in my in his face, like, Tommy, am I gonna have to fight you? So he comes over, and uh, he's clearly not, he's not afraid of me at all. He, he comes over, he says, Tommy, are you gonna hit Wayne anymore tonight? He's kind of like, like I'm fed up with you. I said, yeah. I got him ready to grill too, got him real close. I said. Dave, if you don't want me to fight Wayne or hit Wayne anymore tonight, I won't do it. But the guys all thought I was going back before. They're all coming over patting me in the past. I said, yeah, I showed you. I showed you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you did not want to fight him. I mean, he just was like, well, scary. he was, he was, um, he was very, um, very, um, dirty. So, yeah. you know, the, the code, there was no code. Dave Sabanko yeah. had to get the job done. And he was giving, he's come up, he'd go, uh, let's go. 
And if you didn't comply, he would sucker you. So I had four fights against him. The first time I fought him in the corral, um, he, he's dicked you. He, he sucker punched me over top with the linesman. Poplinski jumps in, fights him. I'm over here. Poplinski's fighting him. He kicks Jim Poplinski. Yes. The yes. second time I fought him, he kicked me. Third time he, I fought him, he need me. I've ever oh. seen that video. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He, and and you know uh, Brian Lewis is, is is standing there. I'm going Brian. He, he need me. Timmy, he says, it's a fight. He says, eh, well, we don't worry about rules and fights. I'm just like, oh, my God. Well, especially when it's two guys like you, right? Like, they think, well, you guys are fighters, so, you know, you're going to. Yeah, and and then, so you, you knew, you knew that you better be prepared. And, and you know, Dave's gone, and I told a story at their, one of their functions there about him. And I said, yeah, he, he give you no choice. He just slapped you upside the head, and you better be ready to go. Otherwise, you're getting drilled in the head or something because he gave you no choice which is in a lot of ways the ultimate policeman you know yeah i i just i don't know if i had that in me to be that dirty to kick guys and knee guys like i had marty mcsorley fought him one time in calgary we were beating him in calgary and it's four one or four two at 30 40 seconds left of the game i'm out there he jumps me i'm like i'm not gonna fight him with that time left i go go on the bus i'll beat it and and he jumps me, he reaches around, he puts his finger in my eye. And so I'm like terrified. I thought for sure, my eye, whole, everything just went black. I couldn't see. And I was like, what the devil is going on? I just, so they take me to the hospital at the university of eye specialist there after the game. And he's prodding around and he's freezing my eye and he's playing around and he's going, oh, 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 oh. I said, what's all the oohs and ahs about it? He says, I've never seen a scratch behind a human eyeball before from a finger. Oh, wow. Behind my eyeball. So he was that far behind my eyeball. Yeah. So, did you get to know Dave Svanko after? I did, yeah. So um, I was going to tell a story. There's a famous picture of Dave and I. We're just kind of standing beside each other, kind of glaring at each other. We're not fighting. We're just kind of like looking at each other. At each other, and they call it the Battle of Alberta. And this photo, it's the number one selling photo in lot, most of Canada, if not all of Western Canada. More photos sold of Dave and I in that oh. picture than Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, anything else. And they, you know, the guy that owns the the the, the negatives, the the photo is a guy in Edmonton called Jack Cookson. He owns Pro Am Sports, and they sell it. And so for a long time, Dave and I would sign them. So he'd bring down a big stack of all different sizes to Calgary and I'd sign them. He'd take them back up and Dave would sign them. So we never really worked together. I ran into Dave here and there, but we always had a lot. So he asked me to come to Edmonton one time to do a signing with Dave. We can, you know, the fans were going to be there and we could personalize them and different things. And I said, sure, I'm great. I'll come up and, you know, and, uh, so we're sitting there and I, the, a kind of a lull in the, in the conversation and in, in the lineup and i said hey dave who would ever have thought you and i were going to be business partners <laughs> no you know and that uh, true and but he was a, like he's a guy not unlike nick everybody loved him yeah. all those guys just worshiped him what a great great guy great in the community fans and you know it's uh just a shame that uh you know he passed away so young but uh Oh yeah, it, it is amazing yeah. with most of the tough guys what great guys they are too. Like I got to know Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom after, just fantastic guys. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, like Tom, I think that'd be said about 98% of the hockey players. Most yeah. Times, we're all in the same thing. We just all wanted to get along and make a living and have some fun. And, uh, and even when we're in the alumni business now and just out, you know, having fun, we do, we're doing a, we do this, it's called the battle of Alberta golf term. We do it in red deer and it's for a child advocacy center in red deer, the building and Sheldon Kennedy and their group. And oh, oh, we, they get about 20 oiler guys come down and 20 flame guys. And we all get all auction off. And we all, so two, an oiler in a group, flame in a group, two groups on a tee off box and, and you kind of challenge you play. Right. And, uh, that's cool. Oh, that is cool. It's fun. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. So for people that don't know Alberta, so Edmonton is what about three hours, uh, north of Calgary, right? Three hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. 180 miles. Yeah. And the right, right in between there is Red Deer. Yeah. Um, and that's a hockey hotbed. I'll tell you the junior teams, the pro teams, they have world championships there. Yeah. World junior championships there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Edmonton, you know, yeah. You've got the, the three junior teams in, in yeah. Alberta and then you have, well, you got four, five actually, cause you got Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and then you have the, the two NHL teams and yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, if you're a scout of any sort, yeah. you can watch a lot of hockey games and not go very far. So how many seasons did you get as a player? I played 16 years wow. and, uh, then I played two, and I played two years in the minors. Oh, you so, did? And then, yeah. So right from playing in 97, I went from playing in San Jose and I got a job to coach with the Capitals. So That's five years in Washington and six years in San Jose. One year we had the lockout, so we didn't work, but six seasons, three in Toronto and then one back to Washington. Oh. But we actually go back and talk about the, the Flames Oilers rivalry because it was kind of like your rivalry with the Islanders, Tom. They were the best team in the world and you couldn't get through them. But Tim's Flames eventually got through the Oilers in 86 and then again in 89. And we should talk about 89 because that was obviously a magical year in Calgary. Yeah, you beat us on the way. We beat Edmonton. That was your we beat uh, Edmonton. You knocked that. Yeah, you knocked yeah, out the Oilers. We played Calgary and they beat us on the way to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, um, we did everything to beat the Oilers. We knew if we were going to ever win a Stanley Cup, we had to beat the Oilers. And uh, it was, um, you know, it was Bob Johnson, the guy that really started all the, you know, the little nuances of how to beat the Oilers. And they had such a great right side and a lot of scoring coming down the right side. Curry, Anderson, you know, at times Messier coming off that right side on his off shot. So we developed this, this system called the left wing lock. The left yeah, wing started. Oh. Yeah, so you'd have two four checkers, and then left wing guy would kind of be the high high man, and then as the play started to come out of the zone, he would circle over and fill his lane, and then you had the two D. So you had three guys abreast moving through the neutral zone, and sometimes, most often, you got the two D skating backwards and the left winger skating skating forward. And, you know, they would be retrieving pucks and they'd be the guy low in our end when the, when the puck got into our end low to start with. And then at some point the centerman switch off them, but a lot of times it was the left winger and that really proved effective. We, we limited their rush opportunities and, um, then the other two guys had to get on the horse and get back because Paul Coffey was coming yeah. and Kevin Lowe and Charlie Huddy and all these guys. So it really worked. And then we, we definitely had to get tougher as a team. And, um, you know, 
Um, and I think the thing that really helped us was all the college signings, uh, Joel Otto, Colin Patterson, Jamie McCowan, uh, Perry Bears and early on. And, uh, um, so these guys really, you know, they came in and they were pros. They're 22 years old. They've been in college, uh, 21, you know, they weren't 18, 19, like mm-hmm. the rest of us. And, and, uh, they really helped us. And, you know, it was, we, we had to scratch and claw uh, to get by Edmonton. We did in 86 and got to the final and, uh, lost to, to Montreal. Yeah. We'll also beat Tom the Rangers that year. Yeah. Yeah. So, they beat us. Yeah. 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 And you had, so, you had my old teammates Bozak like there too, didn't you? Yeah. You with Bozy. Yeah. Bozy. Bozy was there in the, in the early eighties. He was there in the, and then, um, uh, we traded him to LA, I believe. And yeah. And St. Yeah. St. Louis and LA played. Yeah, both. Be, be, uh, Keith, Keith Hansen was there too, wasn't he? He was an old little teammate of mine. Yeah, we had him there for a little while too. Yeah. He just didn't want to fight as much as they wanted to, right? He's a big man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Tim, you're you're a kid from Calgary. In 1989, you guys win the first cup. How was that as a Calgary native? Was it crazy? Had a lot of it. It was, uh, you know, and, and the great thing was in those days, the Stanley Cup, wasn't on tour. They didn't go, players didn't get it and go everywhere. Colin Patterson was the first guy to really get the cup to Toronto and go on and then have Phil Pritchard actually bring, bring it to him. Otherwise the cup stayed in the city. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, being living in Calgary full time, I had the cup numerous times, I had all kinds of different, uh, occasions with it. I had a big party with all my childhood friends and my coaches and my parents and brothers and, and everything in my backyard. And, but I went down to pick the Stanley cup up and I'm, it's my day. It's a Wednesday and I got to, I get it Wednesday. I got to take it to stampede ground Saturday. Ooh. And then, and then I, um, have, I get it back. Then I got to bring it back Monday. So I pick it up Wednesday. I'm going, and I had a regular cab Chev pickup truck. So Nothing in the back, you know, no canopy or anything, just a bench seat. I got the Stanley Cup. I go into the office and uh, I said to the gal, I said, uh, where's the cup? She goes, it's right there. And I look and there's a hockey bag. And I'm like, it's in the, yeah, it's in the hockey bag. Unzip the hockey bag. There's a Stanley Cup. So I take this out to my truck. I'm going, How, what am I going to do with this thing? Like, it's almost too big to lay on the bench seat. So I put it in the passenger seat. I put the seat belt around it took the bag off, put the seatbelt. I'm driving around town with a Stanley cup. Oh man. That's and I, and I pull up to a light and people are looking, they're going, Hey, there's Tim Hunter. That's a Stanley cup. <laughs> now imagine that in the city like Calgary that says hockey. Oh, hockey that, oh. yeah. And I took it to a couple uh, fire halls. I got buddies that are firefighters cool. and, and I took the hospital and I took it to a couple friends, restaurants, you know, they have like pasta, Italian places they make pasta and that like markets more restaurants and we had lots of fun pasta and, and pictures and and then beers a you know, few beers a few, beer, few, few yeah. beers a lot yeah. lots of beers there you go Phil I think it's 13 beers Phil is that what <laughs> see there's a trivia question right there how many beers can you put in the top of the Stanley Cup yeah yeah 13 cans of beer uh, that's funny yeah <laughs> so yeah man, lots of fun and uh so I had it numerous times and uh, and if Colin Patterson tells a story about he was in Toronto and there was something going on. He was somewhere and he ran into one of the old, um, 
old security uh, guys. Um, oh, Frank Torpy. Oh, yeah, Frank Torpy. Frank Torpy. Yeah, he had the bonded out party, get out of the party. <laughs> he, so he says, you know, anyway, I can get the Stanley Cup because, ah, Colin, we don't do that. The Oilers, they ruined it. They, they took it to some strip bar and, you know, in that accent, he's, you can't do that. You know, can So Patter somehow enamored him and he called the office because the Cup was going back to Toronto and Patter lives in Toronto. So, um, they said, yeah, the guy's going to bring it out to your place. So he's got this party plan and he's got the whole street blocked off and this cup's supposed to be coming. He's got all his neighbors, childhood friends, and teachers and all this there. And he's waiting for this cup to come. And this guy comes down the street and pulling up in this little Toyota. And he's like, hey, dude, what's, what's, we got a party going on. He goes, no, no, I got the cup. So he had the Stanley Cup, this little Toyota <laughs> Tercel, Phil Pritchard. So, that's the first time the Stanley Cup ever went on tour. And then after that, it was just a matter of everyone doing it. Now, everybody in the whole organization gets it, like the the front office, the trainers, the, everybody. So everybody knows Phil Pritchard is the keeper of the cup. He's the guy with the, uh, the white hair, right? The long yeah. white hair? Yeah, there's the white gloves. Yeah. There's, I believe, three of them that do it. Yeah, I was at a party for a friend that's the video coach for the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. I trained him as a video coach in San Jose and then helped him get the job in Colorado. And Phil was there with another fellow. He's a new fellow that just come on and just, he worked at the hall of fame and they asked him if he'd like to do the tour with the company. He's like, come on, do we yeah, like to do that? Yeah. What better way to, to, to enjoy your summer than travel around with the Stanley cup to a bunch of parties. Uh, so some stories we have guys that we had on the, Grant Jennings. Grant Jennings is on. He told the story about that Mary Lemieux's pool. <laughs> Some of the stories of that trophy, what it's been through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took the bottom off it and oh. uh, wrote on the inside and underneath there, there's a wood bottom on it. Took the ring off. And there, there was lots of stuff inside. Oh, people writing on it? Oh, that's, that's, I did not know that. That's a classic story. Yeah. Wow. Very good. And, and then Tim almost won another one in New York five years later when the uh, Canucks and Rangers went to seven games. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really fortunate because I think every four or five years I was in the Stanley Cup four straight times. So 86 with the Flames, 89 with the Flames, 94 with the Canucks, and then 97 with the Capitals. So, yeah, we had that great team in Vancouver in 94. We, not unlike Florida, a good team, but we didn't win the President's Trophy the year before like they did. But we just kind of got in the playoffs. Pat Quinn made the, quite a few trades uh, near the end of the year and and uh, a couple acquisitions, Marty Jelena and Brian Glenn, and just kind of peaked at the right time and go great goaltending with the Kirk McLean. But that was a tough team, uh, Rangers with all those ex below on yeah. that. They were not happy playing against me. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, Kevin Lowe. Uh, we, we, I know Kevin pretty well, and we always get together and share stories. And he's like, Hunts, it was like. Really, I got to go through you again. <laughs> so, with all the fights that you've had and things that happened during your career, is there any one guy or a couple of guys that you still don't get along with? Um, well, you know, most guys you respect, most guys, yeah, I don't. A couple of guys, I fought, um, I fought Daniels and Jansen, Mark Jansen in Vancouver, and I was standing with both those guys 
and like they, you know, they, somebody was coming after me, but I didn't realize. So I'm like, you know, like kind of hard. You're looking at one, the other guy, I look at one guy and the other guy suckers me and I look back and then the other guy hit both of them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that was like 99% of the time when I fought, I was in full control. I never really got mad or mean. I was just in control because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing. When you get out of control, then you, you know, all kinds of crazy things happen. But that moment for me was the eyes were rolling like a cash register. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I went totally berserk, but I slowly got my senses and went, okay. So in Vancouver, the visiting bench, when you come out of the locker room, you take a right and you go out onto the ice through the back of the bench. Well, when you're walking down that hallway on the left, there's a door. And that goes into the Canucks locker room, which is a separate room where the trainer is. That's where the medical room is, where there's a bed for dentists and stitches and different things. They do it in there. It's kind of a private room, but still attached to the Canuck locker room and the Canuck trainer. So they're getting me, they're going to throw me out of the game. And I'm going, okay, great. And I'm making sure they're throwing those two clowns out. So I go through the, down the tunnel. And then I cut left and go through the training room. And I go into that room. They're playing for Hartford. And now the door, I open the door. Now I'm in their hallway. And I'm right across the hallway from their locker room door. Right. So I'm trying to call these two guys. Oh, they won't come out of the locker room. They're terrified. <laughs> Because oh, I'm, I'm, I don't care if there's two of them. I, you lost your mind? Yeah. I lost my mind. Yeah. I was, but I was, you know, in control. So I'm, so they have the video of the camera going down the tunnel and their Hartford TV has it on and uh, they never came out. The trainer came back and kind of got us uh, separated. And, and uh, but, <laughs> So the two of them are sitting in the locker room going, I'm not going out. There's no yeah, no, no, they wouldn't come out. I said, you're cowards. Oh. And he, oh. so they call me on the carpet and, Brian Burke is 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 the disciplinarian, and yeah. he goes, "Tuts." He says, "You can't do that." I go, "Do what?" I said, "You did you watch the, what happened on the ice?" I said, "I get suckered by two guys, and I don't know where I'm. I took the wrong turn going in the dressing room, and I came out the wrong door. Now I'm in the hallway. I thought, oh, well, I might as well have a conversation with." Him. He goes, "What?" He says, "He says I got some good news for you." He says that footage is not allowable. They played it, and they're their ass is grass because they played that footage. So, but they, it's not admissible. Oh, so I can't really suspend you um, on that. He said, but you know, you got to be careful. I said, okay, Brian, no problem. I said, you're going to spend those guys for soccer punch? Me? He goes, Timmy, really? <laughs> so that was a conversation I had with Brian Burke. So another, another guy, you know, I didn't, he was, Rob Ray, you know, rubbed me wrong a few times and I fought him in, Few, lots of times. So we're playing Buffalo in Vancouver exhibition game, which I don't know. They must have yeah. come out west to do a tour yeah. or something, to get out of town or something. Yeah. So late in the game, he's chirping Pavel Burry and chopping him, you know, and then they, he goes to the bench and I'm sitting, it's like no, no time left in the game. So Rob Ray wants, and this is in the old Pacific Coliseum now, different, you know, you go out the back of the bench, is wide open underneath, you know, big long, walkway through the, you know, lower concourse to the the visiting room, same to the Canuck room. So Pat Quinn's the coach. And I'm, I said to Rob Ray, I said, listen, pal, I said, 
we're not going to see you for like five months and all of a sudden you're growing some balls and you're going to, you're going to do this. Your last shift of the game with Pavel Alburi. I said, where were you in the first period? I said, if you're not, you're not going to do this all game long, don't be doing it with 30 seconds. I said, that's, that's called being a coward. So the referees come over and they throw us out and I'm going, perfect. So he's chirping at me, calling me an old guy. Well, I went down the tunnel and it's all open stands back there. And I went down and now I'm in his pathway. He's, he hasn't come out the tunnel yet. I'm standing in the tunnel. Like it's all right, bright out there in the rink. And then when you go underneath, it's black. You kind of takes a minute to see. And I'm standing right in front of him because he comes out. And he's trying to look underneath, but I'm standing right there. And I go, hi there. <laughs> like, well, did you smoke him? Yeah. So down we go. And now we're fighting. And we're out in the and the concourse. They have a the Canucks have a big uh, buffet there before the game. Yeah, yeah. Video screens and tables. And now we're 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 rolling around on the concrete, and we're fighting. And I'm on top of him. And I'm pounding him. And this big hand comes over and reaches over. And Pat Quinn goes, "Boys, boys, you can't do this. He's going to get in trouble." I said, "I don't care, Pat. I'm going to kill this guy." Oh, that's funny. So break it up and. We go our separate ways and nothing ever became of it. There was no video and that's what I, so those are two, yeah. you know, kind of like different, games. different days, right? I mean, the game is still a great game now, but it's certainly a different game from way back then. You know? Well, yeah. And, and one referee and then also the, the video, you know, like, uh, were you on the, were you in the, with the Kings and when Gretzky was there? Yes. Or no. Yes, it was. Yep. Yes, so was was Tom Webster your coach? Yes, he was. Yep. So, do you remember when I punched him? Yes, I do. Didn't he throw a stick or something that he, or he tried to spear somebody? He was trying to get to Gilmore. Yes, I remember that was in L.A. too. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, so that event, you know, I'm in the hole there and uh, right against the the your bench, and there's yeah. one sheet of plexiglass. Yeah, and there's no cameras. There's cameras across, and you know, so he's trying to get to Gilmore. Like, I'm going. And, and he's a coach. I'm like, what's this idiot doing? So he comes down, he's standing beside the bench, and I'm sitting right there in this sheet of plexiglasses, and I'm going, Tom, beat it. Like, you're not accountable for what you're doing. And I'm leaning around, yelling at him, and, you know, like, let your teammates, yes. your players take care of this. And he gives me this one, like, oh, big no. And I'm like, really? That's the first time I've ever heard that, yeah. So I took my palms and my gloves because they're wet i got that plexiglass and just went it went up in the stands yeah and now i'm now all everyone bunches in the all 10 guys on the ice are against the boards harry gregson's the referee and he's like five nine five ten he's behind everyone and i'm face to face with tom webster yeah. and i just smoked just rolled glasses on everything dowdy goes in the in the bench so i think him and gilmore got three games and i got two games he gets that I remember that. Yeah, we were, I remember that. So, but no camp, no video of it all. The NHL, no video. But Terry Gregson said he saw him, saw me punch him. And I'm like, then you could have never saw it. Yeah. You're not tall enough to see. Then <laughs> I said that to Brian, I don't know whoever the guy was at the time was doing it. Was... Anyways, Pat, Cliff Fletcher said, uh, Hunts, um, yeah. He said, but you know, you only got two games and those two guys got three. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, listen, it's been great having you on the show. We played against each other a lot, especially once I got to LA. And uh, you're uh, like, I mean, it's a total compliment to you. Uh, you, 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 
always got the most out of your career. I hated playing against you. That was always a sign, you know, that somebody was really competing every night because you think to yourself, oh, you look at the lineup, you go, oh, man, I got to play against him tonight. That's just yeah, great well, job by you. Great, great career. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll get you on again sometime. Tell some you, little stories. You bet, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Have a great day. Man, Tim Hunter told some incredible stories. Smoking Tom Webster and fighting in the tunnels. Like, just great story. He's fat. He's one of those guys I played against all the time. And you think, oh, my God, I got to play against him. I've never spoken to him before. That was the first time we did today. He's a great storyteller. Like, oh, really good story. Absolutely. We'll have him on again because we I, we probably could have done three hours with those stories. But, wow, what a, what a career. And just to be, you know, he knew from day one, like, he's going to be the fourth line guy. He's going to be reliable, dependable, and do his job. And made an 18-year career out of it. It was interesting to talk about the other young kids who come down and play in the fourth line, and he'd be almost be like a coach then before he became a coach ultimately after the game's over. Yeah, 100%. Those are the guys you need on the team. That Those leaders are, are basically, yeah, like you said, they're extra coaches. You got you to gotta listen to this one. This great story is fantastic. He is rolling. So good job. That was a good show. All right, Grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.